0: Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that shocked everyone. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were history and the people who lived it and the paranormal meet. Now, who doesn't live a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Hunting History Podcast. I'm your host, Kat. And joining me this week, as always, my co-host extraordinaire Haley. Hi. So last week we um, did some shout outs to some of our Instagram followers. And I want to do that again, especially to the people who comment and respond. And it's, it's so amazing when people listen and then have their opinions, even if it's different than ours. So I want to thank Marty Melville, she always um, listens and then tells me what her opinion is and what she thinks and gives me more to look at. And I love that. I wanted to give a shout out to Thomas Fox, who said he is our new Stan. And that was a, a little bit ago. Um, but I couldn't find it in our Instagram and I found it today. Um, Sarah's Animal Life, who always comments. Hi, Rachel Stivers from Portland. Uh, we have two new Patreons, which I'm really excited about Haley mentioned Patreon for like a split second. And we have got two new Patreons, Paula, Ryan, and Casey. No last name, just Casey. So you guys, hi. Thank you for joining us. We're going to be, hopefully we're going to be recording two episodes today. We're trying to get a little bit ahead, which we are not right now. We currently, I finished researching and writing and we sit down and record immediately, which is not really the way to live because we have full-time jobs and it's very difficult. So we're going to try and record two episodes and then we have our big episode coming up which is I'm really excited about. I get to interview a couple different people, and it's a first for me. So that's going to be coming up, but probably will not be out till the end of May. Um, but we we have we're going to try and record two episodes. If not, we're going to probably take a, a week off coming up, and I'm not certain when that will be. But don't don't be alarmed if there's a week where there is not a new story posted. We're going to be working on our Patreon page, so we have new Patreons, and we have some behind the scenes audio and bloopers to post. And I want to get that out there. So I'm probably going to take a little bit of time off of research and do that a little bit because Haley is, has some things coming up. So she's going to be busy too. So please stick around. Even if we do end up taking one week off, don't be alarmed and stick around and maybe binge some of our old stories. Um, today's episode is, and I know Haley, you probably don't know anything about this. I have this weird obsession. If there's an article that comes up that includes the, the word heist, or like prison break, I'm all about that. I don't know what my fascination is. I have a really weird fascination with prison life and prison. Not that I ever want to go, but I'm very interested in it. And I knew about this story a long time ago because I've read several books on it, and I don't know why I never considered doing the story. And I always ask Kaylee if she's heard of it. If she hasn't heard of it, then it's something that I kind of want to do. You've never heard about the escape from Alcatraz? No. Do you know where Alcatraz is? San Francisco. It's over on the... On an island, in sounds like mm-hmm. out in water. Uh, originally, so we're just going to go ahead and get right into the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Originally, a fort and military prison that housed Civil War prisoners as early as 1861. Did you know it was that old, though?
1: No, I didn't know it was that old.
0: It was Alcatraz was acquired by the United States Department of Justice on October 12th, 1933. And there's actually more of a history behind that from the 18, I think it was the early 1800s to the time that it became um, a prison. There's a whole bunch of history you can read about it, and all you have to do is look up Alcatraz. But in 1933, the United States Department of Justice acquired it. The island became a federal prison in August of 1934. Alcatraz was designed to hold prisoners who continuously caused trouble at other federal prisons. At 9.40 a.m. on August 11, 1934, the first batch of 137 prisoners arrived at Alcatraz. That's not very many people. No. For prison standards, anyways. California prisons. They arrived by railroad from the United States Penitentiary in Leavenworth, Kansas. They were escorted to Alcatraz, handcuffed in high security coaches, guarded by like 60 special agents from the FBI, the marshal's office, and the railway. Most of the prisoners were notorious bank robbers and murderers. The prison initially had a staff of 155 people, including the first warden, James A. Johnston, and associate warden, J.E. Shuttleworth. They are both considered to be Iron Man, like in quotes, like, you know, rough and tumble. Yeah. The staff was highly trained in security, but not in rehabilitation, which I think our prisons now are leaning more towards, or at least more so than they were in 1934. Yeah. During the 29 years in use, the jail held some of the most notorious criminals in American history, such as Al Capone, Robert Franklin Stroud. Do you know who that is? No. Have you heard of the Birdman of Alcatraz?
1: Mm, There's been movies and everything. Maybe
0: uh, he was the Birdman of Alcatraz. George Machine Gun Kelly, Bumpy Johnson, Mickey Cohen, Arthur Doc Barker, and Alvin Creepy Carpus. They were that's monsters. a name. They were mobsters who served more time. in by the way, Alvin Carpus served more time in Alcatraz than any other inmate. It also provided housing for the Bureau of Prison staff and their families, which I read a book um, when you were younger. One of you were assigned the book Al Capone Does My Shirts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you read that? I think so. I love that book. Yeah. It's historical fiction, but it talks about the families that lived on Alcatraz Island. Because you had to live there if you worked there. If you worked there, yeah. You, your family lived there. In fact, I started a new book last night and I'll I'll reference it on our episode page as about a guard who lived there for four years. It was terrified to go there. Like this starts out thinking, oh, what decision did I make? And he ended up loving, loving on Alcatraz, but it's a really good book. Alcatraz, also known as The Rock, originally was a maximum security prison. It was located, is located on a lonely island in the middle of the San Francisco Bay. In 1934, the high point of a major war on crime, Alcatraz was refortified into the world's most secure prison. Alcatraz was already a foreboding place, and it was surrounded by cold, rough waters of the Pacific. The redesign included... Tougher iron bars, strategically positioned guard towers, and stricter rules, including a dozen checks a day of the prisoners, escaped seemed nearly impossible. Which, looking at it, like, you've s- seen it. Yeah. It's hard to imagine that someone could get away from there. Yeah. It's hard to imagine that anyone can get out of any prison. Right. And the and prison they are... They're, I don't want to say they're common, but they happen. Yeah. During its 29 years of operation... The penitentiary claimed that no prisoner successfully escaped, but a total of 36 prisoners made 14 escape attempts. Two men tried twice. 23 were caught alive. Six were shot and killed during their escape and two drowned. Five are listed, listed missing and presumed drowned. Frank Morris and Clarence and John Aglin are among those missing and presumed drowned. But that's where the story gets started. All three men, those Frank Morris, Clarence, and John Anglin, were serving lengthy sentences for bank robbery. Frank Morris, who was a career criminal, who had previously done time in Florida, Georgia, and Louisiana, was sent to Alcatraz in 1960 for a 14-year sentence. The Anglin brothers had attempted earlier escapes from other prisons and were sent to Alcatraz for robbing a bank in Alabama. Clarence and John Anglin spent part of their formative years in Michigan To the amazement, and this is something you want to remember later, they had 11 other siblings, the boys, as boys, used to swim long distances in Lake Michigan during the winter months. So part of the thing about Alcatraz is that it's an island, and the water never gets above 54 degrees in that area. Authorities believe that Frank Morris and the England brothers might have previously known each other from the penitentiary in Atlanta. Frank Morris, who Clint Eastwood portrayed in the movie Escape from Alcatraz, which Oh, so this is a movie. It was a movie. I've never seen Escape from Alcatraz. He was considered the keen and brilliant mastermind. The escape plan took several months and would include decoys and water survival gear. Frankly, Morris had spent a lifetime navigating the prison system before he even came to Alcatraz. From his early years until his teens, he was shuffled from foster home to foster home, and he was convicted of his first crime at 13. So... I I did the Ancestry.com thing on him and I didn't find anything super interesting. By the time he reached his later teens, his criminal record would include crimes ranging from narcotics possession to armed robbery. He had become the first professional inhabitant of the correctional system. He spent his formative years in boys training school, which was another word for juvenile hall and graduated to a series of even larger penitentiaries. Prison officials did believe that he was of superior intelligence And it was at Alcatraz because of his prison escapes, his previous prison escapes. In 1960, federal officials decided that his pattern of escape attempts, which they called um, shotgun freedom, would end at the rock. They thought that the rock would would hold him. On January 18th, 1960, Morris arrived at Alcatraz and became inmate AZ-1441, which I always look at the mugshots. He's not a bad-looking man. Frank's accomplices in this escape were equally well acquainted with a dark world of organized crime. Brothers John and Clarence Aglin were also serving sentences at Alcatraz for bank robbery. They had been convicted along with their brother Alfred. All three had been incarcerated at the Federal Penitentiary in Atlanta when they became acquainted with Morris. And John and Clarence were eventually sent to Alcatraz because they had um, attempted to escape several times. Morris and the Englands were housed on the same tier in Alcatraz, which I'm sorry, that does not seem like a good idea. Like if they're all three being being put there for attempting to escape from other prisons, why put them all next to each other at this prison? Like yeah, for I, like don't a know, but I mean...
1: it's got to be hard to figure out where everyone should go. They're all criminals. You know what I mean? Like well, it's like I know,
0: but this they're being sent there specifically because they've all attempted escape before. The three began planning their escape in 1961 along with another inmate named Alan West. Behind their cells was a corridor filled with pipes and heating ducts that was hardly ever entered. West, who occupied an adjacent cell to the three men, was serving his second term on the rock and carried a reputation as an arrogant criminal. He knew John England from the state penitentiary in Florida. The escape plan started to take shape in December of 1961, beginning with a collection of several old saws that West had found in the utility quarters while cleaning. In later interviews, he would take credit for masterminding the whole entire thing, but prison officials don't believe that. They believe that it was um, Morris who was the mastermind. The plan was complex and involved the fabrication of lifelike dummies, well, at least the heads, water rafts and life preservers, which they fashioned from 50 raincoats that had been acquired from other inmates. And I know that prisons still use the same raincoats, and I know this.
1: Where did they, like, hide all this stuff? I mean, don't guards check their cells? And- yeah,
0: apparently above their cell was, a like, there was a vent in the wall, and then above their cell was another vent where they took it out, and they would shove all their stuff up there when they were, hmm. n- were not working on it. Uh, they The 50 raincoats, they stole and other inmates gave them without asking questions, I guess. Weird. I mean, I'm sure they didn't ask nicely, like, hi, can we have your raincoat? <laughs> they also used a variety of crudely made tools to dig with and construct the accessories necessary for their escape. By May of 1962, Morris and the Englands had already dug through the cells, and it was the cell, the vent in the cell, was five and a half inches by nine inches. And what they did was they took the vent off, well, they could leave the vent on for part of it, but they started to drill holes around it to weaken so they could basically take the vent off and then kick out the cement. So it wasn't super visible for like the guards to be able to see because they didn't cut out the cement around the mm-hmm. vent. They just started poking holes so that when they were ready, they could kick it out because it was... Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And during um, every hour, the prison hosted like this music thing And so that's the time that they used to poke the holes. So for like an hour a day, they would sit there and poke holes to make. And all three, all four of them were doing it. Alan West, the England brothers, and um, Morris were all doing this to their vents. They used the noise from the music hour to masquerade the sound of them chipping away at the wall. They used cardboard cutouts to to cover the holes like around the vent so that it didn't look like they were doing anything because it was fully visible from outside Mm -hmm. the cell. The inmates alternated shifts with one working and one being on the lookout. They would start work at 530 and continue until 9 just before the lights out. Meanwhile, John and Clarence started fabricating dummy heads. They even gave them pet names, Oink and Oscar. Their heads that they, they made out of um, a mixture of cement powder and soap and toilet paper. They're basically paper mache. Yeah. Paper mache heads. They were decorated with flesh tone paint from prison art kits. And then one of them worked in the barbershop, so they had access to real hair. Yeah. So they cut I know, isn't that? it's just hair, but it grosses me out so yeah. completely. They glued hair on the heads to make them look really lifelike. They looked decent and I'll post pictures also.
1: I guess I have this like idea that prisoners are monitored like hawks. Like I it blows my mind that they
0: well, I think they're able to do all of these things. Walk up and down in front of the cells, but you know, there's they're in there. They're writing letters, they're reading books, they're sewing, they're doing whatever. So they just happen to be working on shit that was going to help them escape. And yeah, I don't know. You would just think him.
1: that somebody would notice, like this is weird.
0: Which part? Why though? are you making mannequin heads? Yeah, see, I don't think that they probably didn't have that visible.
1: I guess, but that's what I mean. I assume that they're like being. Hovered over all the time, yeah,
0: no, I don't think so. Using glue stolen from the glove shop, the inmates also started working to cut and bond the raiden coats into a makeshift raft and to build make life preservers each evening following the completion of their self-imposed work detail, they would hide the mar- the materials on top of the cell block to minimize any chance of being caught with the mater- the contraband materials. The inmates also acquired an elaborate array of handmade tools. West was able to lift an electric hair clipper while well, he was working on paint detail in the barbershop and he used the clippers along with drill bits stolen from the, in the industrial where they worked there, um, to fashion a makeshift motorized drill. But the motor was too small. And then, um, he got lucky and there was a vacuum that needed to be broken that was broken. And they let him, he offered to try and fix it. And he found that there were two motors inside the vacuum. So he took one of the motors out, fixed the vacuum and then used that motor to make the drill that they used to drill the holes. They also mm. used spoons. They did what, they used whatever they could find. After months of long preparation, the inmates had completed fashioning all the gear they needed for their escape. They then continued to work on loosening the ventilator grill on top of the cell house. John Englin carefully completed a valve assembly on a large 6-by-14-foot raft, while Morris modified an accordion-like musical instrument which he was used to rapidly inflate the raft. But while the others had progressed well in their various preparations, West had fallen behind on digging out his ventilator grill in his cell. His primary role had been to construct the life preservers in special wooden paddles for the rafts, tasks that didn't require him to leave his cell. On the night of June eleventh, 1962, Morse indicated that the top ventilator was loose enough and he felt they were ready to escape the, attempt their escape.
1: So how many years did they prepare for this? From
0: December... I want to say it was from December of 1961. They started planning it in December of 1961. By May of 62, they had already been digging the hole. So it took them a while. By At 9.30, immediately after lights out, the men placed the painted dummy heads in their beds and then shimmied out of the holes they had dug in their cells. Like you think of a grown man? These were not Little men, mm-hmm. they turned a, a five and a half by nine inch vent into a hole big enough for them to squeeze out of. Yeah, each one of them. Then, then this is what happened: Alan, who hadn't, who had been doing the life preservers, yeah, out of the raincoats, and um, which, by the way, a Popular Mechanics magazine had shown them how to do aspects of the life preservers and the raft. So they had magazines in the prison that helped them ultimately gave them these ideas, right? Um that night, because Ellen hadn't spent a lot of time on his vent, he couldn't get through his wall. And um, one of the England brothers s- tried to stay and was kicking from their side to help him out. But time, they didn't have a lot of time to do what they had to do. Mm-hmm. So they had to leave him there. It's poor thing. Don't feel bad for him. He ended up taking credit for most of it. The Morris and the Englands couldn't afford to wait. So they proceeded with his escape without West. When they retrieved the raft and the other materials they had hidden on top of the cell block, they ascended to the roof. The inmates made their final 30-foot climb up the plumbing to the cell house roof, went across 100 feet of rooftop, and carefully maneuvered down 50 feet of piping to the ground near the entrance to the shower area. The trio then climbed over two barbed wire fences, still unnoticed by the guards, and moved to the shoreline to inflate the raft. It was shortly after 10 p.m. when the men entered the waters of the bay and disappeared into the foggy night. This would be the last anyone ever saw of Morris and the England brothers.
1: See, that's what I'm... What shocks me about this, too, is, like, how did someone not see... Like, I feel like there's guard well, towers that watch over the outside of the prison. They do,
0: but but um, Alcatraz has been described as getting so foggy and so misty that you can't see your hand in front of your face. Jeez. So their disappearance was discovered, um, wasn't discovered until 7 in the next morning when the alarm went off for breakfast. And it, it, they even, it wasn't even, like, a big deal. Like, the three of them didn't wake up. There were times when people didn't, the prisoners didn't wake up. Mm-hmm. So someone went back and was like, wait, the the brothers and Morris aren't awake yet. So one of the guards reached through the bars and tapped um, John England's head, or what he thought was John England's head, and it rolled off the bunk and hit the floor. <sighs> Can you imagine that prison guard? He'd probably screamed like a girl. Maybe. I mean, I know I would. Yeah. So that's when they knew that they were gone. In a later interview, Wes said that their plan had been to use a raft to make their way to Angel Island. After resting, they would re-enter the bay on the opposite side of that island and swim through a waterway called Ra- Raccoon Straits and then go on to Marin County. And there they would steal a car, burglarize a clothing store, and then venture out on their own separate directions. West had finally been able to complete the removal of his grill and climbed to the rooftop. Did you, I didn't even tell you this. Mm-mm. He had, he, after they had gone through the whole thing, West got through his grill, climbed up on the roof and they were already gone. So he went back to his cell and went to sleep. <laughs> Do you almost feel bad for him? Kind of. Yeah. Right? Like he tried so hard. Yeah. And didn't get out for decades. It was speculated um, as to whether the famous escape had been successful. Authorities investigated the escape for seventeen years. I wow. mean, they did the whole thing. They did the lockdown and everything. Search the island, search the water. They had coast guard. They had everyone available to search for the prisoners. They searched mm-hmm. the island, searched the water. The following um, are key points that the they the officials released about the escape. They they cast doubt on the success of them surviving. They said that the formal plan that they had gotten from West, because, you know, he pretty much sang like a bird, was to steal a car and then perpetrate a burglary at a clothing store. No reports of any such crime were filed in Marin County within a 12-day period. So they say that didn't happen. Sources reported that these three men had neither friends nor relatives with the financial resources to come to San Francisco and assist in their escape. It would have cost thousands of dollars to put a boat in the bay night after night, waiting for the one night when the escape actually took place there would have been no way to communicate with outside contacts in order to confirm the date of the break and kind of plan it out. They said critics on the other side of the debate claimed that the fact that there were no bodies found was proof that the inmates had successfully made it to the mainland, but the reality is, is that it was fairly common for people who perished in the bay never to be found. And then, in fact, on the night of the escape, an African-American gentleman named Seymour Webb was despondent over a failed relationship he left his car in the middle of the Golden Gate Bridge and jumped to his death in front of numerous witnesses. And then despite the quick response from the Coast Guard, his body was never found. It was the way the currents were there. that. It was, so they're saying
1: it's possible that...
0: there's. It's very possible that their body wouldn't... just because The officials are saying just because their bodies weren't found does not mean that they didn't die. Right. Um, the, and I mentioned this earlier. The waters in the bay ranged from 50 to 54 degrees, it was determined that exposure to the elements would have affected body functions after approximately 20 minutes. And then that, this is a little known fact the showers at Alcatraz were always supplied with, with hot water to hinder inmates be, be, from trying to get their bodies like acclimated to the cold water mm. in case anybody had an idea. Right. So they had plans for yeah. all the escape personal items carried by the inmates were found floating in the bay the following day. They also found a life preserver with heavy teeth marks on the valve, and it was believed that the homemade clip to seal the valve had failed, making it difficult for a swimmer to stay afloat. They also found another life jacket that was still tied shut. Like it wasn't...
1: Like as if someone slipped out of it or something?
0: Yes, not as if someone took it off. Mm -hmm. So they took the fact that it was still knotted and still tied to mean that it fell off accidentally, that someone didn't take it off on July 17, 1966, a Norwegian freighter that had been departing from Pier 38, which is the pier right there, reported seeing a body floating 20 miles northwest of the Golden Gate Bridge. The ship was on its way to Canada, and they didn't report the sighting until October. Which is weird. Make a phone call. Yeah. Like, I do not believe they have Ship to shore communication in 1961.
1: There was, they had to have some kind of communication somewhere.
0: I mean, maybe it was so normal for them to see bodies floating, they didn't think twice about it. But they insisted that, um, although it was bleached by the sun and the ocean, the body was fully clothed in denim trousers that appeared to be identical to prison issue uniforms. Coroners from San Francisco, San Mateo, Alameda, and Marin counties all confirmed that a body could float up to five weeks after drowning. The FBI determined this was to be the most significant lead in the case. Their official report established that there were no other individuals missing or drowned at the time who had been wearing similar pants. That's just stupid. Yeah. You don't know how many people jumped off the bridge and what they were wearing. No. That's ridiculous. Families of the England stated that the escape had been a topic of family discussion for several years, originally saying that none of them had ever... This is what they originally said that they had never been contacted by the brothers and they felt that the men would have made contact in some form if they had survived. Now, this is the family protecting them. The England family would soon suffer enough tragedy. The third brother that was in on the bank robbery that was sent to a penitentiary also, Mm -hmm. but not theirs, was electrocuted while attempting to escape from Kilby Prison in Montgomery, Alabama in 1964. So immediately following the escape, the England family insisted that if the England brothers had survived that they were a close knit family that they would have contacted them right somehow some way they maintained that for many many years but 32 years later they reopened the case in 1983 after a fellow inmate of the three men came forward with new information the men the man claimed that he had helped plan the escape and that Clarence England's girlfriend was supposed to meet the men on dry land and drive them to Mexico. Family members of the three escapees later added more information that fueled the skepticism that the men had died that night. Family members of the Anglins provided authorities with a photo they claim was taken in 1975, 13 years after the escape, of Clarence and John Anglin in Brazil. Robert Anglin, brother of Clarence and John, admitted on his deathbed that he had had contact with his convict brothers from 1963 until about 1987, and then finally in 2011, a cousin of Frank Morris admitted that he met the escapee at a park in San Diego soon after the breakout.
1: So family members are saying that they
0: got out. And they survived. came out 32 years later, saying, mm-hmm. "Oh no, they did not die." The family also tells, and this is really interesting, the England family tells of two suspicious women, quote unquote, that would show up to family funerals of like the important family members, mm-hmm. like. Their brother that died when their mom died, um, women, they wore heavy makeup, black clothing, and black veils, and would stand far away from the family and then immediately leave. So they kind of always thought that those were the England brothers dressed up at the family funerals. Okay. In 2015, new leads were presented by the England family. Now they're suddenly cooperating with the authorities. They claim that not only did the brothers survive the escape, they were alive and well up through at least the mid-70s and may still be alive today. The evidence is offered up by the England's nephew, David, 48, and Ken Widner, 54, who are featured... Um, there's a Alcatraz Search for the Truth, a History Channel special. The England family sat on the leads for years because they say they were spied on and harassed by the FBI for years. So they wouldn't... So this is like the third generation from those men mm-hmm. um who are saying that not only did they survive but they survived well they they want to see this the case solved they said that they combined with the cockiness of the alcatraz officials that they were inspired to come forward first i guess aside from the funeral thing there were Christmas cards that were signed by Clarence and John England's name and delivered to their mother during the three years after their escape. They always arrived without postage. Their mother also received flowers for years after the escape, never with a card or information of who they were from. The family finally let investigators dig up the remains of their brother, Alfred, who the one that had been electrocuted, They mm-hmm. to get his DNA because they had discovered a set of bones that washed ashore in San Francisco in 1963. The the FBI and the prison officials had said that was the bones of one of the escapees. Mm-hmm. I'd always claimed that it was. Well, they they had investigators dig up their brother and do DNA, do the brother of the brothers, do a DNA, and it, the, the, it doesn't match. So it wasn't the England brothers. I mean, it still could have been Frank Morris, but it was yeah. not the England brothers. Uh, Boston crime boss Whitey Bolger, who met the future escapees in Alcatraz, He wrote in a letter to the nephew Ken Wadner, that he had instructed John and Clarence on how to navigate bay currents and dropped a key piece of evidence about being a fugitive. He taught them that when you disappear, you have to cut all ties. He told me in a letter, this is the mistake that I made. He told me these brothers undoubtedly had done exactly what I told them to do.
1: So he believes that they survived.
0: Yeah. He thinks that they survived based on the, on the advice
1: that he gave them. Advice that he
0: gave them. Yeah. What's fascinating to me is that this all happened in 1962 Mm -hmm. is that it's still going on today. I mean, how many years later? 50, 70, almost 60 years later, this story still has some life in it. In January of 2018, CBS San Francisco published a portion of a letter addressed to the FBI and told an altogether different story. The letter claimed that the criminals had been at large since 1960. The letter said, my name is John Anglin. I escaped from Alcatraz in June of 1962 with my brother Clarence and Frank Morris. I am 83 years old and in bad shape. I have cancer, and yes, we made it that night, but barely. So someone sent that letter. The letter was sent to the San Francisco Police Department's Richmond station in 2013 also. The broadcaster reported, but had been kept under wraps during a long investigation. An FBI laboratory examined the letter for fingerprints and DNA and analyzed the handwriting within, but the results were inconclusive. So it means yes and it means no, it leaves everything in limbo, they say. In the letter, the writer explained that he was last living he was the last living member of the trio, and that his co conspirators who died in two thousand five and two thousand eight, he offered a deal. If authorities announced on television that he would receive a single one year sentence in which he could have his medical treatment he needed, I will write back to let you know exactly where I am. This is no joke. This gets me. The FBI did no such thing and insist they repressed the letter. Why? I don't know. Because
1: they want to believe that someone can't get He's out of their prison. He's 83.
0: Prisons? I don't know. He's 83. Who cares? Write him back and say, you don't even have to go to prison. Let us just talk to you. Like, it's the only known escape from Alcatraz.
1: I mean, I guess they don't... Yeah, but they don't care. They're just mad that someone got out of their prison.
0: I guess, but, oh, the story. So that was in 2013. He actually wrote the letter in 2013. It came to surface in 2018. So... If he was in bad shape and he was 83, then he's probably not alive anymore. Probably not. That's
1: unfortunate. And
0: he was the last one. He was the last one. He said that his co conspirators died. The intriguing mystery of this escape is still being explored decades after the fact. After decades of investigating, in 1979, the FBI concluded that there were no more key findings indicative of a failed escape rather than any findings or evidence that would suggest any inmates found their way to freedom. And they've stuck with that story since. That's a shame. Like I, I guess I'm more interested in seeing the guy who did it than in hearing how they did it mm-hmm. than him going back to jail for bank robbery in 1960.
1: Well, it's interesting,
0: right? For sure. I just it makes me sad that they let that go. I mean, for all we know, it's the FBI. They could have went and met with him, shook his hand, and just said, "Okay, bye. Okay, we're done." Yeah, yeah. For all we know, like, what's the statute of limitations on bank robbery? Probably not sixty years. I mean. They couldn't put him back in jail at this point anyways. And he was offering to go to jail for a year. Yeah. As long as he still got his medical treatment. A little known fact about the great escape from Alcatraz is that initially there were six of them that were supposed to escape. June Stevens had been brought into the plan as early as December and he occupied a cell on the third tier directly above Morris and the England brothers. And during a prison-wide shakedown following the escape, they found there were holes found inside the and around the ventilation grill inside of the cell of Robert L. Williams. Williams, serving time for murder, later denied his direct involvement. But Stevens admitted his role and later revealed that Frank Morris had asked him to withdraw due to the issues that he felt would ultimately compromise their escape plan because of where his cell was located. So mm-hmm. he talked him out of it.
1: Logistically, did it make sense? Right.
0: So one of them sang like a bird, and one of them denied that he ever had any part in the attempt, which would benefit you more. Because once you attempt to escape prison, you get more time. Mm-hmm. So the one guy denied having anything to do with it. And since we all love a good ghost story, Alcatraz offers haunted tours of the island if you're ever in the area. A lot of people say that Alcatraz is haunted.
1: Do they do like executions and stuff there?
0: No, there are actually no facilities on Alcatraz for capital punishment. Um, if they had, If someone was there that was destined to to die as part of their punishment they would be sent to san quentin My other obsession is san quentin
1: so people just like dying of natural causes and stuff is what they're saying is
0: yeah they say that eight um people were murdered by inmates five men committed suicide and 15 died from natural causes and the island is has its own morgue but no autopsies were performed there that if any of the inmates were deceased, they were sent to the mainland and released to the San Francisco County coroner. But that doesn't stop people. I mean, people died there. One of the stories is that cell 14D is um, one of the cells that prisoners were sent to as punishment. Visitors often report feeling coldness enveloping the room like more than one spirit is still present there. In the 1940s, a man actually did die in cell 14D. The guards found him strangled on the floor of his room rumor has it that the night before his death he kept screaming that a creature with glowing eyes was trying to kill him. if you go there take a walk through cell box A, B and C this is where Alcatraz visitors frequently hear crying and moaning in addition to that a psychic reported encountering a spirit named butcher there and prison records actually show that a man nicknamed Butcher was assassinated there in the 40s. I didn't have, I don't I didn't research that. They say to listen for banjo music in the showers Al Capone, the American gangster spent his last years in Alcatraz strumming along with the prison's banjo band. Due to fearing that he would be killed if he dared to play the banjo out in the open, he always practiced in the showers. Some say you can still hear the banjo music playing in there. So there's there's so many stories about huntings at Alcatraz.
1: I would like to visit.
0: Would you take a regular tour like the History Tour of Alcatraz or the Haunted Tour of Alcatraz?
1: I think I'd probably be interested in both. I just kinda wanna see it too.
0: Yeah, I want to go. The three times I've been there, Alcatraz was closed. I think there was no tours that day for whatever reason. One yeah. day, one day I know it was because of the weather. Yeah, but so I haven't actually done it either. But I want to. The prison was permanently closed in 1963, a year after the men vanished. Today, it plays host to more than a million tourists each year, often drawn to the site by the story of the escape and the chance to witness one of the spirits left behind on the rock. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so please be sure to like, follow, and comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Also, you can join our Patreon site for exclusive content, upcoming contests, and information only available to our Patreon members. Visit our website at huntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode and links to our Patreon page and all the social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat, and remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost.